Welcome to American Education FM, everybody. I'm Dr. Sean Brooks. Hi, everybody. Welcome back. Okay. I'll tell you what, I know I'm not alone in this regard, but it really is frustrating sometimes when you have so much to do and just not enough time to do it. And it really does feel like that right now. Um, there's a ton going on from numerous angles, as I'm sure you're aware. Lots to comment on, lots to bring up, and lots to bring to people's attention. And at the same time, there's so much that I'm interested in writing and getting this information out to people so that they can start to see, again, hopefully both the small and larger picture and how they all connect. In particular, of course, not just within the education business, but when you take the geopolitical landscape of everything that's taking place and you, you run it right through the education system and the medical system, it really is overwhelming. So I have to tell you that the the 560-some-odd-page crumbly document regarding that shooting is is taking a toll on me. It really is overwhelming. I'm slugging my way through it. I'm over half, half done with it, and I'm going to keep going. And I just want to lay this out right here at the top of the show is, is that I'm going to go through a little bit more of that in the latter half of this episode, and that'll take us to the end of the episode. But I have to tell you that again. Uh, well, first of all, I'll say this: I'm I'm going to try to put together another Substack this weekend, and hopefully have it out before Monday's episode. Certainly on uh, Jesse James's podcast, when Truth for Social will be there, and they'll be discussing much more of this in detail. In particular, again, a lot of the outside influence that exists there and a lot of other things. But uh, either way, this entire document is really a case study in everything that is wrong with American education in one document. And I can't emphasize that enough. I really can't. If anybody looks at this document and knows what's going on in American education, and it doesn't matter if it's K-12, it doesn't matter if it's university level, they're, they're, all, they're all heads of the same snake. It really is, again, a perfect examination of the state of affairs that our entire country is in, in one document. And this is not something that can be reformed. This is something that has to be done away with permanently. And you've heard me beat this horse before, and I'm going to do it time and time again. Leaving these school districts and making them bankrupt is the way that you not only get back at them, but liberate yourself from this level of brainwashing. You can't change these criminal organizations. You just can't. It does not matter. If you get a majority of, of good people on the board who want to, again, get rid of a superintendent, get rid of a treasurer, take a wrecking ball to the district office, you're still going to have outside agencies, NGOs, politicians, and very terrible people do whatever they have to do to get those board members off of those boards. And that happens all of the time. And it's never reported on. But again, the way that you kill two birds with one stone, metaphorically, is you leave. And then by leaving, you're crushing the criminal organization because they are dependent on your participation. And then at the exact same time, you're liberating yourself from that enslavement. And that's exactly what it is. And unfortunately, we're seeing a great deal of 
jockeying for power, I should say, or certainly jockeying for influence now, not just regarding the education subject, but of course the jab narrative and all of that. And I have to tell you, you have to watch Amazing Polly's latest video. I will link it in the description below. She's 100% right because she goes through these gatekeepers and she shows a giant picture of them, and I've put it on my Gab page. These individuals, again, are individuals that are trying to be at the forefront of whatever comes next. And they're, of course, right now attempting to be the voices for everything that's really happening that is jab related or economic related or you know the, the the state of affairs are the way that they are because of what happened 3 years ago and yet none of them as she very specifically points out none of them are saying that covid isn't real it doesn't exist none of them are saying that these jabs are intentionally designed to kill people. I mean, maybe Alex Jones is, but he's wrong on so many other things. He's, he's borderline irrelevant at this point, if he wasn't already. But Amazing Polly's 100% right. You have, to, you have to be careful about these cross-promoting individuals. And I, again, I have a picture here that she posted and put up during that episode, and I'm going to go through some of these people, she, she, again, she calls them the new narrative gatekeepers network. She's right. Tucker Carlson. She has, uh, Russell Brand, Alex Jones, Joe Rogan, Tim Pool, Dan Bongino, Patrick Bet David, Andrew Tate, Candace Owens, Steve Bannon, uh, Ben Shapiro, one of the, well, it's both Weinstein brothers. And they're the worst, too, because as she points out in her, sh in her latest episode, these were the individuals, again, that were advocating for mask wearing and telling people to wear masks and shaming them for wearing masks. And now, all of a sudden, they're taking the opposite take, or they're not even talking about the issue. Again, the likes of Ben Shapiro, he's not even talking about this. And the vast majority of these people are not talking about this biological weapon being a depopulation agenda. It really can't get clearer. She hits on Jordan Peterson. Oh, uh, what's the hell? I can see his face is right here. Anyway, he's another Jewish guy and he's got a podcast. It came out of nowhere. And again, he's allowed on YouTube. And most of these people are allowed on YouTube. And that should tell you something. You have the likes again of Peter Thiel and Elon Musk and a number of other individuals here, uh, Megan Kelly and Jack Posobiec, um, Glenn Greenwald, oh hell, Dave Rubin, Tulsi Gabbard, I mean, the, the, Chris Rufo, the list is endless. Stephen Crowder, Dr. Drew, it's exhausting. These people are all in this together because, again, they're in it for the money. They're, they're trying to control this narrative for audience or again, audience members, clicks, you name it. I couldn't agree more with Polly on this issue. And like I said just a second ago, many of them are on YouTube. Still, that should tell you something. YouTube's making money off of their presence. They're making money off of YouTube's existence. And then my show continues to be destroyed on YouTube time and time again. Why is that? 
Again, she's got Malone here and a bunch of other people. Dr. Campbell, which she brings up very specifically, says he was a, you know, has a doctor of uh, a degree in philosophy and he's a former nurse. I mean, these are people that were slow on the uptake. They're late to the party. They're just late to the party. So again, watch out for these people going forward because whatever happens in the future, these are the people who are going to say, come and listen to us. We're the people that you need to listen to. Polly's 100% right though. So again, I'll link that in the description below and I highly recommend checking that out. Um, God, there's so much else here. Let's see. Let me get into this just very quickly. It's nice to see that Stu Peters continues to wake up a little bit. He was on Twitter the other day promoting Europa The Last Battle and that documentary. I can't believe he hasn't watched it. Can't believe it took him this long. Uh, again, Europa The Last Battle is all over Gab. Endless posts about it. Endless websites where it can be seen. Money Tree Publishing, again, is the website where you can actually purchase the documentary. It's a life-changing thing. It's a, it's a life-changing documentary, and again, I highly recommend people watch it, and I recommend you watch it more than once. I've seen it at least five or six times. This is one of those documentaries, again, that, that, that changes everything. It changes your perspective on everything and allows you to see everything as it really is rather than through the lens of the Zionist propaganda machine. But again, you know, you, you have, I want to bounce back real quick, frankly, to Alex Jones. The other day, I tuned into a show for about 10 minutes just to see what he was talking about. And he was going on this anti-Q run like you wouldn't believe. He was having people on his show and, and people call in. And, and again, their entire interpretation of that movement and that good propaganda and good psychological operation that took place to wake people up and to cause people to educate themselves and think critically. These individuals knocking that movement on Alex Jones's show, including he, he himself, are misinterpreting and misreading the actual posts themselves. I mean, they couldn't be more wrong, and they couldn't be giving away more. I would say at an obvious level, that they haven't read any of the posts and certainly didn't read them when they were coming out live at the time, which again proves their capacity for rationalization, ignoring, again, what was a positive psychological operation, because those exist, and a positive propaganda outlet, which also does exist and is a good thing, but they're actually interpreting it as it was keeping people from thinking. It was keeping people from investigating. It was basically just saying, trust the plan, trust us, don't trust anybody else. We're the good guys. That's all you need to know. They couldn't be more wrong as to what all of that was about. And it proves again that they haven't read any of the posts and certainly weren't at the time, because at the time, it was so popular and gaining so much steam, and moving people in such a positive and active direction, that if they were to bring it up at the time and read the posts live, they would be discredited as show hosts and so-called analysts on a great deal of things. Again, Alex Jones is on the wrong side of history when it comes to that issue. He's on the wrong side of history. And again, it's exhausting. 
It's just exhausting. But these people, again, to bounce back to Polly's most recent video on her Bit Shoot and Rumble channel, they are jockeying for power and influence in a way that is beyond disgusting. It's so gross to watch that it just, I, I, I don't even have the words. It, it sends a chill down my spine. They're, they're so gross about all of this. I mean, they're bashing their own fellow Americans because they know more. Think about that. Because they can think on them, you know, think for themselves without having to constantly tune in to other people and listen to what other people are saying all of the time and then formulate their opinions based on what someone else says. You've heard me say it here. You don't have to listen to me. You don't have to listen to any of this. I'm just one guy. But I would encourage people to consider just one thing, because again, I don't make money on this show. I would consider people to understand why is it that they that the, all of those gatekeepers, so to speak, and influencers are on YouTube making money hand over fist, and I'm not. Why is that? I mean, again, you know, I'm I'm picking on this person now, and I think rightfully so. Polly goes into again bringing up a number of uh, of people specifically, and and again she engages in a bit of a, a sophomoric argument, which is a, which is too bad, because that doesn't it doesn't mean anything. A person doesn't have to be a medical doctor to know what's really going on with the history of medicine and so on and so forth, and she knows that. But uh, one individual again that she that she hits on, but not deep enough, I I, I think, is the Brett Weinstein character, again. This guy is Jewish, number one. And number two, he made his bones by being a Jewish guy at Evergreen College out west in the upper, in the upper north, uh, northwest. I want to say it's either in Washington State or Oregon, one of the two. And, and the reason that he, that he made his bones was is because all he was doing was suing the university for getting rid of him because he stood up to students who wanted to take over the entire college because, again, they thought that they were black and entitled to basically run the entire insane asylum. So he sued the college. He got a, he got a settlement out of it. And then before you know it, he's on Joe Rogan's show all the time. So, it, it, again, it's almost as if, well, I mean, they're, they're clearly all controlled and they all have influence with a number of different individuals, but I, I think that's really the point. The point is, is that they're always controlled. They always have people moving them around and other people knocking on other doors for them and saying, hey, you know, why don't you go over here and do this? And why don't you go talk with this person? And then again, they cross promote and they inbreed with each other, trying to control a narrative. And unfortunately, not only are they late to the party, but they're wrong. They're wrong on endless issues. Again, Brett Weinstein. Okay, he's on Tucker's show the other day, you know, a few weeks back, whatever it was, and he's, you know, he looks all serious and he's he's got his head down. Tucker, this is just, uh, I mean, this is overwhelming. I, I I just can't believe that there's 17 million people dead from the shots. We we already know that, and if you think 17 million is the number dead from the jabs, you're not paying attention. It's way more than that. But don't worry, trust Brett Weinstein because. He got invited to a foreign conference in Europe someplace where a bunch of people were sitting around talking about how many people are dead from the shots. 
again, when was the last time? And, and Polly claimed that she was going to make a video about these kinds of people. But Polly said that she's going to make a video about the kinds of people that have really been out there in society warning people and actually taking it to the people in, again, either board meetings, council meetings, conferences, what, what, you know, the streets, whatever it may be. Because again, she raises a good point. When was the last time you saw Brett Weinstein show up to his local school board or local city council meeting and tell these people what they're doing? When was the last time Brett Weinstein knocked on a sheriff's department's door and asked people and asked the individuals within, are you investigating this? Are you investigating this biological weapon that's hurting and killing everybody who takes it? Of course not. He's not doing that. He's in it for the money. He's not in it to save anybody's lives. He's not in it to wake up. You know, your average citizen who unfortunately fell for the shots so that maybe a mother won't jab their child with one more shot. He's not doing that. He's in it for the cash, just like all of them are in it for the cash, the clicks, you know, move this around and make sure and share this and make it go viral and blah, blah, blah. I hate these people. I really do. You've heard me again bash Megyn Kelly and play the audio of her on this show at length and say, look, look what she's doing. She's trying to now play the hero when she's triple jabbed, has AIDS, her sister's dead, and, she, and, and her friends are dead from the shots. But we're supposed to still listen to her like she's ahead of the curve. You have to be joking. These people are so far behind the curve, they can't even see the curve, let alone who's around the bend. They have no idea. That's my, that's my rant on it. And again, I'm going to repeat what she said, and she's right, which is she's not looking for attention. Polly is. Polly sure, certainly isn't. She's not looking for attention and looking for people to, to, again, watch her show or listen to her and say, you know, don't listen to these people, listen to me. I'm in the same boat. Again, I'm not bringing this up so that you listen to this show. That's not the point. The point is, is that you have to watch out for these kinds of people because these people are not on our side. They aren't. They're trying to control so much, and they're so wrong in their attempt to control that for those of us who have been in this for a very long time can clearly see what they're doing. We can just see it. It's obvious to us. Again, Megyn Kelly was the same woman who was on Fox News, screamed sexual harassment, and then had James Alephantis on her show, defending him while also attacking Donald Trump. That woman is a snake. She's a snake. She can change her skin all she wants. She's still a snake. Again, now she's on Sirius XM making copious amounts of money. It's not because she's intelligent. It's because she keeps people right on a certain wavelength, which happens to be the low-level wavelength of her own brain. She's not that bright. Well, we're leaving. I, <laughs> I'll never forget this. She said, well, we're leaving New York. My husband and I are leaving because, uh, you know, the taxes are high and the school system's terrible. Good for you. Endless people left before you did. 
endless people because they're smarter than she is. This is the, this is the entire landscape, I'm telling you. In a civil war, which to an extent this already is, it's not a hot civil war in that we're charging these people with muskets, but I'm telling you, if it were a real civil war like back in the 1860s, I wouldn't follow these people from one tree to the next in the woods. I wouldn't. I wouldn't take two steps in their direction. These people are, again, slow-rolling information. They're very late on the uptake, and they fell for it the first time around. These are the kinds of people, again, that can't be trusted. If they're so-called awake now, I assure you they're not. They're still rubbing the sleep out of their eyes. These people are not awake. They're having these pseudo-intellectual conversations about shit that we've been covering for a very long time, and you know that. You already know that. You're smart people. Not because you listen to this show. You're smart people because you were either led in this particular direction and you're a free thinker. But you already know this. I'm not going to trust a former Fox News employee, and I'm not going to trust the people she talks to. Dr. Drew pushed the shots on people. He pushed the masks on people. And then when people started dropping dead, like that female comedian who was joking about how many shots she took and then she fell backwards and crushed her skull on stage, remember that? Don't say God doesn't have a sense of humor. He pulled her card in an instant. She made fun of God and he goes, I don't think so. And then dropped it right there. He had her on, on the show and, you know, was going, well, this is a side effect of COVID. Uh, we're seeing this as a side effect of COVID. COVID my ass. She's jabbed to the bone. The people covering for this kind of stuff, I'm telling you, it, it, it's, over, it's overwhelming. So I'm going to leave it at that because I'll just keep yelling and it's, <laughs> it's not a good thing. But there you go. So again, bounce over to Amazing Polly's uh, channel, please, and definitely watch this. She's dead on and 100% right. Okay. Let's keep the jab train rolling here briefly, though. I normally save it, of course, for the last, for, you know, the end, but I'm going to save the vast majority of this episode for more crumbly information because, like I said, I was slugging through that document and holy Lord. Okay. First of all, there was this. Thought you might want to know. Certainly jab-related. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Um, ma major list of companies here all experiencing massive layoffs. And they are Citigroup, NBC News, Universal Music, Xerox, Stellantis, Twitch, which is Amazon's live streaming platform, Google, Disney, Amazon again, BlackRock, and the NFL. And then there's this giant list of tech companies that are experiencing layoffs also. And this is of January of this year. Pixar, Audible, Discord, Google, Amazon, Twitch again, it says, Treasure Financial, Delingo, whatever the hell that is, Rent the Runway, Unity, Pitch, BenchSci, Flexi, NewScale, Trigo, InVision, VideoAmp, Orca Security front desk. And then again, they go all the way back into last year. So you've got eBay, Intel, Arm Holdings, PLC, uh, let's see, Insight Tech, 
Bolt, Cruise, Etsy, Chipper Cash. I mean, the list is endless of these companies uh, cutting people and losing people. Why is that? This is jab related. It has to be a major variable in this equation. I don't think there's any avoiding that. Again, there might not be the need on, on new technology the way that, you know, the, the idiots at Davos, at the World Economic Forum Conference, are claiming. I mean, again, th that's premeditated murder, what's happening over there. And I, I, I wanted to mention that briefly, but the people at that conference are engaging in premeditated murder, just like the people who ran uh, the Clade X, Disease X scenario. It's premeditated murder. They're going through a complete scheme, so to speak, of what they want to do to people. And they're telling people what they want to do to people, which is going to lead to their death. I'm shocked none of these people are being arrested. But of course, people like Klaus Schwab allegedly have diplomatic immunity. Now I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, I don't think there's any immunity from him, you know, somebody doing something to him if you catch my drift. So I think of Lethal Weapon 2. Just think the end of the movie Lethal Weapon 2 and you'll understand my, my wavelength on that. The point is, is that these individuals have no problem, again, getting together and planning out the demise of humanity under the guise of trying to save humanity. It's premeditated murder. They're telling everybody how they want you dead, and then all of a sudden something happens and we're not going, hey, wait a minute, there was a whole conference over here and an entire taped scenario that exists on YouTube of people describing how they want us dead and how they're going to control us and what they're going to do. Shouldn't we arrest these people? Shouldn't we investigate and question them as to their involvement in the death of human beings and the destruction of society? You would think that that would be the case. But these layoffs are certainly a part of it. I mean, we're watching it happen in real time. That leads me to this, actually. Again, same boat. And this, too, is one of those trends that's happening, and not many people are bringing this up. And I'm glad that AJ mentioned this because... I was considering writing a substack about this very issue, and it has to do again with, even though I've brought it up on the show periodically, but the student decline at the university level, but also the need to hire more administrators and more faculty positions. Now, why they're doing that's beyond me. If, if you don't have the students to teach, then why would you hire administrators and faculty as opposed to, again, working on recruiting and a thousand other things. This is a failing business. And the best description I can use, again, is trying to pick up mercury with a fork. These people just don't know what they're doing, and they're trying to wrap their arms around something that's just like, uh, it's slime-covered. They, they just can't, they can't get a firm grip. He sent me this just the other day. He said, Sean, a friend uh, sent this to me, and it was a job opening for the president of Indiana State University, requiring, uh, requesting rather his thoughts on whether he should apply or not. He said, however, read through what the university is looking for. Specifically, look at the enrollment and the mention of declining enrollment. He said, I checked their enrollment numbers online. Indiana State University, which is in Terre Haute, Indiana, if memory serves, I actually applied there, uh, didn't get the job, shocking. And uh, it was arguably one of the worst interviews I've ever had. And it really, and I told AJ this, but 
just to go on a quick little side story very quickly, if you, if you want to interview me for something, if you ask me one insulting question, that's about all it'll take uh, to basically, you know, kick me down a hill. Certainly as far as like getting back on track on a, on a solid wavelength of thought. If the, if the questions you're asking me are stupid, then I just, I put my hand over my face and start shaking my head and asking myself, why in the hell am I even there? That's basically what it was like interviewing with Indiana State University. They were asking me just some of the dumbest questions, and I just remember thinking to myself, Jesus, like, what, what is wrong with you people? But anyway, thank God I didn't get the job. Uh, here's what he said. He said, I checked their enrollment numbers. Indiana State University has over 12,000, had over 12,000 students in the fall of 2019. They're down to 8,600 students for the fall of 2023, an enrollment drop of 30%. A 30% decline. That's a big deal. <laughs> that's, that's a huge deal. And you can't make that up. Again, they, they published this. He said this too. He said the job description for president of the university stated the following, quote, the university has seen a decline in total enrollment since 2020. Hmm, why would that be? And then it says, and the next president will be expected to work closely with others in shaping a recruiting strategy that positions Indiana State as an institution of choice of choice rather and elevates the university's brand in the state and throughout the region unquote impossible it's impossible you can't do that because you can't create people out of nothing You've killed off your staff members. You've killed off the student population. You were misled and lied to, incapable of an individual thought. And as a result of all of that, you carried through with a genocidal plan that was designed to rely on the useful idiot. And now they actually want to hire somebody to be the president of that university, believing that they can increase enrollment as if people really still want to go to colleges and universities. They couldn't be more out of touch. Which leads me to this now. I had no choice. I had to bounce back to an old jobs board that I used to frequent on a regular basis. And I have to tell you, there are more higher education positions available today than ever before. And you're not going to believe, although... I'm being facetious, you will believe, what specific areas of teaching most of the jobs are available in. You can't make this up. And if you think I'm lying about this, trust me, I'm not. You can check this out for yourself. Now, before I tell you where I am and what I'm looking at, you're going to have to take my word on this, that back when I was applying in, again, 2017, 2018, 2019, 2020, in those years when I was applying for higher ed positions, the number of positions that was available at the time were far less than what exists now. I wish I had a screenshot of it back then, but I, I didn't do that. But I should have in retrospect because it would have been a nice comparison. Either way, I'm on the website higheredjobs.com. And if you click on their faculty positions, it breaks them all down based on, again, 
the the major title of the department, so to speak, or a department, and then it has multiple sub-departments below it. So, for example, there's an entire section that's titled Agriculture. They have 1,500 jobs available and and faculty positions that are posted under uh, agricultural positions at universities, basically. They have law and legal studies. They have liberal arts, business, communication, medicine, education, science, technical and career, engineering, fine and applied arts, and health sciences. Those are the major categories. And then, like I said, underneath each category are a list of subcategories, anywhere from a dozen plus. Now, of all of those faculty positions in those large categories, guess which ones have the most openings for faculty positions? They are the following. Liberal Arts has 8,968 positions open. Medicine has 5,372. Science has 8,799. And health sciences have has 5,034. So of the of the major categories here, the ones that are asking for people to apply because they have the most vacancies just so happen to be all of the ones that are associated with science, health, and medicine. Why is that? Why is that the case? The dots are on top of each other. They don't even need to be connected. The correlation between the jab taking and the person's line of study and current place of employment and what subject, quote unquote, that they were actually involved in are connected and and can't get clearer. The reason for for, for these positions being the most vacant is because they're the most dead. Now again, fine arts and applied arts, they have 3,394 positions available. Engineering, 2,897. Education, 2,417. Communications, 1,082. Technical and career, 3,042. Business, 3,329 positions. Again, agriculture, 1,500. And liberal arts, again, is one of the largest at 8,968. And there's 344 law and legal study positions available. (laughs) This is incredible. It's incredible. It's right here. Again, the people who are in those lines of work and in those fields of study, and or, again, being a student or a faculty member in a teaching position or even an administrative position, because lots of those positions in those subcategories are also administrative. They all fell for it. They fell for it. They fell for the genocidal plan of the last three plus years. They went along with everything. And now they're going, well, we, we have a vacancy. Uh, we, we, we want somebody to come and work here. And we were talking a little bit 
uh, back and forth over text, AJ and I were. And again, this this really does open up something that I think is absolutely fascinating, and it was something that I participated in myself and didn't think that I was actually going to have to do this. But the last job that I interviewed for was Arkansas State University. And when I interviewed with them, I, I took over the interview because I had no choice. And this would have been the spring of 2021. I looked at all of them and I said, I think it was the spring of 2021, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. It could have been, well, yeah, it was. It was 2021 because the shots were already out and the mask had already been implemented. And I looked at them over Zoom and I said, I'm sorry to ask this right out of the gate. I said, I, I, you know, they were like, do you have any questions for us? And I went, do I? And I, I, you know, I looked at him and I said, I don't want to be insulting here. I said, but I don't know what your policy is regarding mask wearing and shot taking, but I'm not doing either of those things. I'm never going to wear a mask. I never have. And I'm not going to take any shots. And you should have seen the looks on their faces. I wish I was recording it. I wish I was video recording it. They all kind of leaned back in their chair and their eyes got kind of big and they all went, uh, well, uh, uh, I mean, y- you know, you can wear a mask if you want, but y- you don't have to. And, uh, you know, the state has said that you don't have to and, and we don't have any policy in place where you have to, but, uh, you know, whatever. And I went, yeah. And then I'm thinking to myself again, but did you in the past? Did you go along with it? Because it was all a lie. And of course, the answer is yes, they did. And I was more than qualified for the position. It had nothing to do with my credentials. I, I just, I had to ask the question that I'm certain nobody else was asking in any of their interviews, which again begs the question, which is what AJ and I were talking about is, is that conversation taking place with any interview that's taking place in any line of work these days? Is anyone applying for any of any position anywhere awake enough in an interview to say, I hope you all didn't go along with the shot taking and the mask wearing lie because there is no COVID. It doesn't exist, never has. So if you made people take shots and wear masks, you shouldn't have done that and you're on the wrong side of history. If you think that implementing those again in your line of work is going to maintain your line of work. I'm here to tell you it's not. It's going to crush your business, which is probably why you're sitting here interviewing me right now. And at the exact same time, you would have to look at them and say, I'm not going to participate if you pull this card again. I'll never do it. And you're actually theoretically giving them business advice. Now, in an interview, they don't want that. They want compliance. They want a blind slave who puts on a mask and stands in line and does everything that they're told all the time, even if their life is in danger. And I should say, even if the employer's life is in danger, because the employee following along with the orders justifies the employer's decision, regardless of whatever policy is being implemented on everybody. It's about compliance, it's not about what's right. It's not about what's true. Again, this is a failing business. This is not a business that can be reformed. This is not a business that can be changed for the better. 
anybody applying for an Indiana State University president position has got to be showing up for the money, nodding their head in agreement, stealing from them, and then leaving. Because if they actually take the position thinking that they're going to increase recruitment in a declining, in a declining rather, population, not just in the state of Indiana, but nationwide as a result of a biological weapon that the university itself went along with, you've got, I mean, you have to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. I'm sure there's endless metaphors and analogies I could bring up regarding that, but I mean, the, the truth speaks for itself. These people don't know what they've done. They aren't making that general connection. It's gross. Beyond gross. Okay. That leads me to this too, which is also gross, and again, it's in the same wavelength when it comes to you not being able to reform anything in the field of education. Do you remember me bringing up the Heritage Foundation's Project 2025. Do you remember that? I said I was going to spend more time on it than what I actually ended up spending on it, but I read through most, well, not all of the document. It's, it's a lengthy one, but I certainly read through a great deal of their education document. And again, it is beyond controlled. The Heritage Foundation is a Zionist organization. They do not care about America. They care about controlling everything within almost every three-letter agency, including the Department of Education. And they are not interested in getting rid of the Department of Education. Again, they're not our friends. They're, they are another NGO that people need to be aware of and stay away from. You should pay attention to what they're doing and how they're scheming, but you should understand that they're not on our side. Certainly not on the side of any anybody who's an abolitionist like myself. With that said, I was listening the other day to Stu Peters' show, and he had a fill-in guest who fills in for him from time to time, but they had Harrison Smith on. Harrison Smith is a co-host on InfoWars, and he has his own show on InfoWars. Harrison Smith actually said out of his own mouth that he likes the Heritage Foundation and he supports Project 2025. Ladies and gentlemen, that right there tells me all I need to know about Harrison Smith. Now, do I think Harrison Smith has read the entire Project 2025 document? No, I don't. Has he read the education one with a fine-tooth comb because he has all of that education experience? No, he hasn't. All that document does is support all these three-letter agencies in an attempt to get the three-letter agencies to do what they want to have done and then go after particular people or entities that they think need to be gone after or reform, excuse me, reform particular groups that need to be reformed and then rework the mission and vision statements of these particular organizations and so on and so on. It's kicking the can down the road instead of stomping it into the ground. It's all designed to just maintain the status quo. That's the whole point. That's why they do this. That's why they write these documents as a group, and then they'll put one, two, or maybe three authors in one chapter on one subject within that giant document covering every three-letter agency and other NGO organizations and what they would like to see have happen. So that whatever administration comes into the White House next, we have this giant document called Project 2025. 
and we can give this document to you, and you have to follow it no matter what, because if you don't, well, you're going to end up just like John Kennedy with a bullet in the back of your head from the Jewish mafia and a thousand other people. Too many people work too hard on this document to maintain the status quo, and if you don't go along with it, well, you'll just find yourself face down in a ditch someplace. The Heritage Foundation, ladies and gentlemen. That's it. I mean, that's it. That's who these people are. You can't walk into a position like that with a predetermined massive document on how America should be run. Not when most of the money coming to the Heritage Foundation is all Jewish and Zionist. Again, they can say it's it's their antidote to the one world government or it's their antidote to Agenda 2030. They call it Project 2025. That's suspicious enough. Just like the, again, just like the president or whoever is apparently going to become the president of Indiana State University, when you show up, there's going to be a stack of paperwork on your desk that's going to include every single thing that every single donor to that university and a thousand other people and organizations, provosts and board of trustees and so on and so forth, alumni, all the things that they're going to want you to do. Presidents of universities are tools. They're tools. And again, when you reach that particular area in the profession, you're in it for the money and because you're a tool. No offense, but it's, it's a fact. I mean, it, w- when you get there, that, that's your job. You're not there because you're a free-thinking individual. You're there because you're an order follower. Look at all the university presidents again that uh, you know that went along with the Black Lives Matter nonsense and the whole COVID lie, as I already stated. The list was endless. It was almost all of them, if not all of them. But it's the groups like the Heritage Foundation again that have their teeth sunk in to endless organizations, including people who aren't even in the White House yet, people who aren't even so-called in control. These organizations can't be trusted. But for somebody, again, like Harrison Smith on InfoWars to be like, you know what? I trust him. I I like it. It's a great document. Have you read it? I've read a great deal of it. It's frightening. It's frightening. Because like I said, and then I'm going to move on here, it maintains the status quo. We can't have that anymore. We can't have that in this country. Because again, as they're trying to maintain the status quo, and that's what they're trying to do, and they, of course, are doing whatever they have to do to profit from it in the meantime while everything around us crumbles. There is this quick story I wanted to bring up. My apologies for the reference on the Gateway Pundit here, but it says the following. Study predicts thousands of U.S. cities will be ghost towns by the year 2100. It says a new study is predicting that thousands of American cities will become ghost towns by the year 2100 due to a mix of various social and economic factors. Hmm, what's the largest social factor that's going to contribute to that, do you think? It says the following here, quote, We already see massive decay in some American cities. Detroit and various locations in Appalachia come to mind immediately. Progressive policies on not enforcing the law are causing businesses to flee cities that were doing fine just a few years ago. So in this theory, so is this theory rather really so difficult to believe? 
says a new study using existing trends from over the past 20 years predicted population decline in thousands of American cities over the next 80 years. Researchers at the University of Illinois Chicago used population projections to find that by the year 2100, almost half of nearly 30,000 cities in the U.S. will experience a population decline. The population decline would represent 12 to 23 percent of the population of these cities, the study states. The aftermath of such a decline will bring, quote, unprecedented challenges, unquote, and the study, as the study explains further. It says these cities could face a loss in basic services like transit, clean water, electricity, and internet access. It says, furthermore, an issue depopulation poses is a, quote, dwindling tax base, unquote, that would certainly impact basic city services. It said, quote, simultaneously increasing population trends in resource-intensive suburban and peri-urban cities will probably take away access to much-needed resources in depopulating areas, further exacerbating their challenges, the report states. Of course, it's already happening, and they list a bunch of tweets here of, uh, of abandoned cities and decaying buildings and a thousand other things. It says people have been fleeing from American cities in droves for, for years now, and progressive policies are fueling the fight, and it will get worse, unquote. Yeah, it certainly will. Broken borders, jabs, a collapsing medical industry that's been corrupt since its inception, a collapsing education system that's been corrupt since its inception. It's Rome. And it's falling because of degeneracy, corruption, illegality, lying. And you can't lie to people on this massive of a scale and expect things to be maintained. It's just not the way that it goes. Now again, with that said, I take a little offense to some individuals out there who are saying, you know, stay away from the doomsayers. Like Ultra Peppy Lives Matter, for example, was out there saying this the other day whoever that person really even is. You know, st stay away from the doomsayers. I want people to understand, I'm not dooming here. This isn't what this is. I'm dot connecting. That's all I'm doing. I'm dot connecting. These dots can easily be connected from businesses, through the medical industry, through, again, the geopolitical landscape, and a thousand other things. And unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't know this, that don't know that this is happening. Things around them are crumbling. Things are more expensive. Uh, you know, th things are not going well for them in the in their particular work environment, and they're wondering why. It's a giant on purpose. This is their plan. It's a giant on purpose again in order to usher in either a one world government or a hey, you know, come and listen to us. We'll help you. And oh, by the way, our definition of helping you means killing you. Again, <laughs> that's you know. That's their plan. That's the whole point. And people have to be aware of that. Bringing that up to people isn't dooming. It's just telling the truth and encouraging people to critically think. So there you go. Just wanted to bring that to your attention. Again, a person can bring the truth to people and then still see what the answer is to these problems and then see the bright side of the equation. And as you've heard me say a thousand times, if you stop watching television, and you pull your children out of the American school system, the time that you're going to free up 
to actually learn real things and live a real life is, is going to be immense. I mean, you're going to have more time on your hands, which is a good thing. But again, all of these distraction systems that are in place are designed to keep people ill-informed, and that's a huge problem. And that, of course, is why we are in the state of affairs that we're in. Now, let me mention this too. And again, you've heard me mention this person's name before, and it's worth bringing up also. Because again, this is an example of someone who's late to the party, and it's unfortunate. Because again, even they are a self-admitted administrator, certainly in the medical field, and it's, a, it's a Dr. Latipo, the Surgeon General for Florida. He, of course, is now calling for the shots to be completely pulled off of the market. And that's a good thing. And he's, he's said that more than once, certainly within the last few months, I should say. But now he's making the rounds, doing these face-to-face interviews, and, and there's one particular thing that he's saying that is also not true. And it's too bad because, again, he's slow rolling this and, and it's unfortunate. Because you have to keep in mind, this was a guy who, who didn't understand the larger scheme at play here. He's out there and he's saying that vaccinations aren't bad because introducing DNA into the body, into the human body, that is not your own DNA, is not that bad. Which is not true. And he's saying, again, what makes the, what makes the COVID shots dangerous is that the mRNA, quote-unquote, if that's to be believed, th- that the mRNA component of it is causing foreign DNA to attach to your DNA and then have more of a damaging impact because your body can't get rid of it. Whereas, as he says, normally, other vaccinations with foreign DNA in it that are injected into you, your body has a way of getting rid of that naturally. Again, this is incorrect. And I don't have to be a medical doctor because I'm not one. I don't have to be one to know this. You don't put DNA of other things, in particular when those things are dead, decaying, fermenting, and then sucking a syringe of their juices out of their corroding poisonous body into your body and have that end up well. That's not, that's not good. No one, no one normally would do that. The sad part is, is that people don't know that that's what vaccination is including dead fetal tissue, along with synthesized poisons and a thousand of other things that have no business being inside of the human body. But Latipo would get people to believe that that's not that big of a deal, that that's okay, that don't worry, your body has a way of getting rid of it. What he's not, of course, telling you is that your body's way of getting rid of it is you being practically paralyzed with fever, body aches, and inability to move. And then hopefully you survive that, and then you're back moving around again, but you're not the same anymore because your DNA is damaged every time you take an injection of anything. That's the whole point. So he's, he's still separating the, the COVID shots over here and then all other vaccination over here, not knowing that they're all poisonous. 
Yes, there are varying degrees of poison, but at the exact same time, they're still all poisonous. So my beef with him is the same beef I have with anybody, which is the same beef that Amazing Polly has with all these pseudo-gatekeepers, is the message that they're still trying to tell people when they believe that they're on the right side of history, they're still wrong in their explanation. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention, because again, I saw Latipo out there making the rounds, and I'm going, dude, stop talking. Just stop talking. I mean, keep it with the memos. Do whatever you have to do to get the shots pulled off the market in the state of Florida, and then for Christ's sake, do something about the rest of the vaccinations. Because they're all poison too. The flu shots are a yearly poison that people poison themselves with under a fairy tale of the flu existing, which clearly it does not along with everything else, Gardasil and a thousand other things, tuberculosis and whatever. And then, of course, Bill Gates, in his infinite wisdom, that murderer, he's over there in Davos, and he's going, well, we're working on vaccines, and we're working on this, and we're working on that, and we're going to have more RSV shots and pneumonia shots and tuberculosis shots and blah, blah, blah. They're streamlining all of it. That's all they're doing. They're streamlining all of it to make the same poison in all of them. So that if you get sick from one of them, they'll say, well, it could have been worse if you didn't have the vaccine. Now take this one. And then you'll get that one, and then you'll end up dead. Again, bounce over to Dr. William Mackis's Substack uh, and check out, again, the, his stories and his headlines. It's, it's horrific. A woman had her legs cut off and her arms amputated and her hands amputated because of sepsis. It says the following here, mRNA injury stories, sepsis, and amputation. 41-year-old Lucinda Mullins had a small kidney stone, developed sepsis, and lost her limbs. 13-year-old softball player Anita Navas had rash and lost her legs. They show this woman, this Lucinda Mullins. I mean, my God. My God. It's, It's horrific. She's lying in a hospital bed. She has, she, has, she has no hands, I would say up to, up to her mid-arms, and she has no legs. She's lost her knees and everything from the knees down. It says a Kentucky woman is adapting to a new way of life after losing her limbs because of a kidney stone infection. No, she didn't lose her limbs because of a kidney stone infection because that's never happened before. She lost her legs and her arms because she took the shots. And sepsis is remarkably common among those who take the shots. And sepsis, if you're unaware, is again widespread body-wide inflammation. All of the cells in the body become inflamed. And it's not unusual for an individual to lose their body function from the phalanges inward, from the tips of your fingers and the tips of your toes, inward into your body, hence the amputation of her hands, arms, and legs. Absolutely horrible. Okay, deep breath. That's all I have here on on most of that. Again, even Dr. Mackis fully understands that the whole Clad-X, Disease-X thing is a hoax. He knows that uh, if there is a real biological weapon that, that is introduced to people, they're going to amp it up and make it sound worse than it really is. 
Just don't fall for it. That's all. Don't fall for it, and don't let the organizations in your places of employment fall for it again. This, is, this information is out there. Again, it's premeditated murder. They're scheming about it before they actually do it. And they're going to try it again. They're going to pull this card again. It'll either be this year or next. Time will tell. But, yeah. We'll stay on top of it here. I certainly will do my best. And uh, there you go. Okay. Here we go. Deep breath on the Ethan Crumbly stuff. I got to tell you, I'm going re- to reiterate what I said at the top of the show here. This is a perfect case study in what happens after a real school shooting. I think that's number one. This should, this should prove to people, well, it could be the last point I make, but either way, it's important to understand that this didn't happen in all of the previous fake shootings. That these kinds of investigations after the fact, this kind of legal work, this is exactly what happens after a real school shooting, which was why this is real and the other ones are not. That's number one. Number two, it's a perfect case study in employee negligence. There is no doubt about that. Having read more of this 560-some-odd page document, I can tell you that there were at least I would say one, if not two teachers that wanted a parent conference and suggested a parent conference with Ethan Crumbly's parents, but they made the suggestion to the counselor and two other employees, not the parents themselves. As you heard me say in the last episode, that's a huge mistake. There was, there was one correspondence that existed to the parents, which was a voice message that was left with the mother having to do with Ethan and his grades and behavior and what have you. And he wasn't a so-called behavior problem, but the red flags regarding his schoolwork and his paying attention in class and not turning things in and not caring and just the general malaise, that alone would be enough for a parent conference. And as you heard me say, it's the school teacher's responsibility to do that no matter what system is in place within a school district or a building. It doesn't matter if they have restorative practices or not. It doesn't matter if the school counselor consistently says, hey, call me and I'll handle it, or they don't. It's the school teacher's responsibility to take the lead every single time. So, with that said, I have a series of screenshots here that I want to read, which help piece this together also. In the document, and we're talking somewhere between pages, because I don't have the page number written down for this particular segment, but it's before page 237. So we're way after the sections that I read in the last last episode, but here's what it says. Again, I'm, I'm continuing throughout this document. These were just screenshots I took which I'll probably include in the next Substack article. It says the following, quote, The shooter's academic struggles continued in high school and in ninth grade. The shooter's grades and standardized test results indicated that he needed academic support. In addition, in the spring of ninth grade, 
Two of his teachers reached out to the shooter's counselor, Sean Hopkins, to ask Hopkins to meet with the shooter and discuss their concerns about his classroom performance. In isolation, the fact that the shooter was simply not a high-achieving academic performer would not have raised any red flags. Being a poor student on its own is not a sign of a student in crisis. This is the assumption from the organization that put together this investigation. I disagree with that completely. If an individual, if a student in a school maintains poor academic performance, that's an immediate red flag at the very least to have a parent conference. To get down to the crux of the matter as to what's actually happening and what's going on. Is the student organized? Are they not organized? Are they upset about something? Are they being picked on? Et cetera, et cetera. The, the fact is, is that that's exactly what was happening in this situation regarding Ethan Crumbly. And there's a COVID connection in this, which again, I'll, I'll mention hopefully a little bit later if I can recall it, but the, the, the COVID element, quote unquote, I'm using finger quotes here, the COVID abuse and psychological abuse of all of that played a huge role in this. It played a huge role in the snapping of Ethan Crumbly's mind. And he wasn't the only one. The document continues and it says the following, quote, By early November 2021, there was a noticeable decline in the shooter's academic performance. This would have been again the same month that the shooting took place. Specifically, there were clear signs in several classes that the shooter had simply given up on doing his assigned work. As recounted in detail below, beginning in early November 2021, several of the shooter's 10th grade teachers were giving him failing grades on assignments that were incomplete or simply not done at all. This failure to do the assigned work was a noticeable change in the shooter's classroom performance. That's an immediate parent conference then. And if the counselor isn't doing that, which clearly they weren't, then that's the, that, that's the responsibility of, of the teacher to make that phone call. So much so, I should say, when I taught, it was standard procedure that every single time you contacted a parent, called them or emailed them or left a message or whatever, you had to document that on, a, on an actual school-sanctioned form that all teachers printed out and had at their disposal. That way, your record-keeping of the entire situation couldn't be manipulated by anybody. It couldn't be manipulated by parents, but it also couldn't be manipulated by your employer, and it couldn't be manipulated by anybody else who was doing any kind of an external investigation like in this case. But they didn't do that. All they have here are emails. There's no form where they say, I contacted so-and-so on this day. Here's the message I left. Here's what I suggested. I had them, I wanted them to call me back, blah, blah, blah. The call lasted between this time and this time, and then I hung up. There's no record keeping that's that extensive. But that, again, is supposed to be standard procedure. It continues. It says the shooter's Spanish teacher emailed Hopkins, who was the counselor, Sean Hopkins, on two occasions in the fall of 2021 to ask Hopkins to reach out to the shooter, but she did not alert Hopkins to the declining academic performance of the shooter in her class. And other than these emails, 
We did not see any indication that the teachers who saw that the shooter had stopped doing the work in their classes escalated this issue. See, that doesn't matter. The, the point is, is that, well, I, I see the point they're making. They're saying that the counselor wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing by, again, encouraging a parent conference. Here's what it says next. It says, one, one email from the school to home stood out for the rest. The shooter's geography teacher reported, to some, reported rather a somewhat unusual statement by the shooter on a classroom quiz that he had deliberately done poorly on the quiz to get his parents' attention. The body of the email stated, quote, I'm contacting you in regards to an incident that occurred in geography class today. Ethan Crumbly took his geography quiz today during class. We checked it together. As I was collecting, I noticed the shooter, because again, they took out his name and put the shooter in place of his name, had received a 70% and he had handwritten the message, quote, I did it on purpose. When I asked the shooter about this note, he said that he wanted you to notice his geography grade. He thought he would get your attention by receiving a low score on the quiz, even though he knew all the correct answers. The shooter will be able to fix and repair this quiz for an improved score of 80% next week, but I felt that you should be aware of the shooter's actions today. Unquote. Based on that alone, that's a kid who's asking for help. Any school teacher worth their salt and any counselor worth their salt would immediately schedule a parent conference. It didn't happen. It continues, it says, We sought to interview the teacher who sent this email to the shooter's parents, but she stated that she did not have any relevant information to share and she refused to speak with us. What was interesting about this entire investigation from this external this external entity, is that they reached out to almost all of Ethan Crumbly's teachers dating back to kindergarten, practically. And hardly any of them wanted to speak with the investigators about Ethan's behavior, or his mood, or his demeanor, or his grades, or whatever, you know, whatever situation they wanted to bring up. There's, there's little to no participation on the part of the employees, which is remarkably disappointing. But as it even st states in the document, they were told that they didn't have to participate because the district's lawyers were representing them as school teachers. I'm going to tell you something, that's a little rare. I mean, that, that's, that's kind of rare. The school district could have forced the school teachers to participate in this investigation, but they didn't. And the investigators of this outside agency state that time and time again, that the school district had the power and the responsibility and could have, again, forced the, employee, the employees to participate in this investigation, but most of them declined. Here's another screenshot I took. This was on page 112. Uh, it says, although they would not speak with us, the shooter's ninth grade teacher, teachers rather, were interviewed by law enforcement after the shooting and provided their impressions of the shooter. As noted above, several teachers recalled that the shooter, like other students, was quiet and seemed isolated during classes. Several teachers said that the shooter did not participate in class 
and did not interact with classmates. In several classes, the shooter did just enough work to pass and was often late in handing in assignments. None of the teachers interviewed by law enforcement reported any disciplinary issues. After the shooting, a few OHS students who were interviewed by law enforcement stated that they had known the shooter in middle school and recalled that he was quiet. That doesn't mean anything necessarily, but either way, here's another email, and this is an email that was sent by one of his teachers to Pamela Fine. And again, Pamela Fine was their bullying coordinator and their restorative practices director. And again, she's, she's part of the problem here. But this was an email sent to Pam Fine uh, back on January of 2021. So this would have been the spring semester before the fall semester of the actual shooting. The subject line was My Kids. And this Kim Monkovich, who is the 7th and 8th grade, uh, let's see, 7th seventh, seventh grade English language arts teacher and 8th grade intro to computer programming teacher. They said, quote, I sent an email last night and I'm going to reach out to them again in class today also. You could skip Ethan Crumbly right now, they stated. It may push him over the edge. Long story short, Ethan thinks everything is in, but is too lazy. I don't know what else to call it to speak to me in class. I'm holding him to speak with him during lunch today. Honestly, you could skip them all for this Wednesday because I think we are all ready for, a fresh, for the fresh start, unquote. This was, this was in regards to Pamela Fine wanting to set up a club of students who were academically not succeeding or failing or underachieving and have basically the opportunity for her to meet with all of them individually. You, you can still see the problem here in that they're not contacting the parents. They're not telling the parents what's going on. They're just trying to handle everything in-house and manage everything in-house. Here was another screenshot I took. This is titled Communications Between OHS and the, students, and the Shooter's Parents. Rather. It says, quote, we reviewed email correspondence from several of the shooter's ninth grade, parent, uh, ninth grade teachers rather, to his parents, alerting them to missing assignments, some of which were significantly impacting the shooter's overall grades and classes. In addition, the school sent an email to the shooter's parents in May of 2021 alerting them to the possibility that he would be required to attend summer school because he was failing three classes at that time. The shooter's parents generally responded to these emails. And then it says notable classwork. It says at the high school level, many of the assignments in the shooter's classes were saved online in his OHS Google Drive. And this is where it gets real shady and enters a completely different avenue, is that all of these students have Google Drives. All of these students are uploading documents on these Google Drives, and many of these documents are being hidden in these Google Drives, and the, and the teachers themselves aren't reading the assignments in their entirety, which means they're missing key elements of what these students may be or may not be saying about their own frame of mind. This is, this is so problematic. Like I said, it's overwhelming, and, and I could write 12 substacks on that alone. But it continues, it says, the district provided us with documents saved on the shooter's OHS Google Drive, and we highlight some of the shooter's school documents, 
from ninth grade that stand out in retrospect after November 30th. It continues here. Let me open up the next window. It says this, and this is where it gets real screwy. It says one of the documents that was indicated that the shooter was struggling with aspects of self-esteem and well-being was a wellness inventory survey that was saved on the shooter's OHS Google Drive on September 10th of 2020. This would have been the year before. It says the survey consisted of nine, 90 rather true-false questions and five essay-style questions with many questions relating to mental health and well-being. The survey answers were then plotted on a wellness wheel. The shooter responded false to the following statements. And here are all of the statements that, again, you had to either put true or false to. I'll get into the whole nature of the actual survey in a minute. I just want you to hear his answers first. Excuse me, and the actual questions themselves. It says, quote, I am happy most of the time. He answered false. I have a number of people in my life who I care for and who care for me. He answered false. I care with others. I, I, I'm sorry, it says, I can share with others my feelings and concerns. He said false. I feel good about who I am and what I am. He said false. I can go to sleep easily. He said false. I like my body. He said false. I can develop friendships when I move to a new place. He said false. I can go to a party and have a good time. He said false. I like people. He said false. I'm not overly, I'm not overly rather worried about the future. He said false. I can accurately access my strengths and weaknesses. He said false. I care about what happens to my fellow man and woman. He said false. And then finally, I trust my ability to make good decisions. And he said false. Now, I know what you're thinking. And you're right. You're 100% right. Regarding this survey, and surveys like it. This is the problem with American K-12 schools. They dish out these surveys to gather information, and then they don't analyze the information. They're trying to play medical doctor or psychologist when they aren't qualified to do so. You've heard me bring this up at length, and ladies and gentlemen, this again is why this is a case study in everything that is wrong and why the system cannot be reformed. You've heard me talk about the unnecessary nature of surveys like this in American schools. They have no place, none, zero, because the people inside those environments never read the questions nor the answers. Even if it's a formal assignment given by, say, a health teacher, where the health teacher receives these answers back. Engaging in such an activity should have the option to opt out from a student, and the parents should be made aware of that, but they're not. And you've heard me say, too, that surveys like this will be administered to entire schools 
the entire student population, sometimes a, a fraction of it, but sometimes the entire student population, and they'll even be anonymous. And then those anonymous results are stuck back into a folder from all the students who participated, and then it's sent back to whatever study group or journal or research association or whatever is administering the actual survey, which means you're never going to see the results like this of a student who's clearly in need of help. And also, I should say, in need of help, and here it comes, because of the entire COVID lie and the psychological operation of the whole COVID lie. That COVID lie was designed to get people dead, either by their own hand, via injection, okay, or taking pills or illness or what have you, or having the hospital kill them through hospital policy, or suicide, or snapping the minds of the people who are still alive so that they kill their fellow peers. As far as I'm concerned here, I know everybody points the finger at Ethan Crumbly. I'm going to go out on a limb and I'm going to say Ethan Crumbly's the victim of the larger psychological operation that's been taking place with all of us. And he then perpetuated his victimhood on other individuals who became his victims. That's called the cycle of abuse. And that cycle, that wheel, always rolls downhill. It always backs up on people, and it always falls on people. And this is a perfect example. You have to pull your children out of these environments. They are torturing them. That's what all of this is. This, th this wellness inventory should have never been taken. Not ever. It continues. It says, based on the available evidence, it appears as if the shooter completed this inventory as a part of an assignment for his health class. The irony. It says the, sh the shooter's power school records. Power school is capitalized because it's the, the online system that they use, I believe. The power school records for ninth grade health class show that he submitted an assignment entitled, entitled Wellness Wheel, which had a due date of September 14th, 2020. It's unclear whether the shooter submitted both the Wellness Wheel and the underlining Wellness Inventory to his health teacher, or if he only submitted the Wellness Wheel which did not include the specific questions and answers listed above. Accordingly, we cannot say whether the shooter's health teacher saw how he responded to each of the 90 survey questions. The shooter's ninth grade health teacher refused to speak with us. Of course he did, or she did, rather. It's a she, I believe. She, re she refused to speak with them because if asked about this, they would have been asked, well, why would you give this if you weren't even going to look at how they were responding? Because she didn't look at how they responded to it. So they've got her dead to rights not doing her job either. You see the number of people who should be fired here? It says on October 7th, I'm sorry, October 2nd, rather, of 2020, 
the shooter saved two documents to his OHS Google Drive that suggested that he had trouble, I'm sorry, or what was in, it says, in a troubled emotional state at the time. This was a year before the shooting. First, at 7.51 a.m. on October 2, 2020, the shooter saved an untitled document on his school computer drive that contained the following statements. Let me open it up here. Oh my God. Three statements. Number one, I have no emotions. Number two, fear run IDK. Fear run, I don't know. And then number three, don't get angry and keep the anger in. This kid was writing this stuff not just in a personal journal in his book bag but he was writing it on school documentation that was on school-sanctioned technology that the teachers themselves have the responsibility to look at. So, beyond the survey stuff for just a minute, the very use of technology and the data harvesting that exists with, school, with student uh, information and assignments is too much for the school teachers to even look at. They don't look at it. And this is case in point as to why they don't look at it and what happens when they don't look at it. They're not looking at everything that these students put on their Google Drives. Which means what does that mean that you're supposed to do with Google Drive, do you think? You're supposed to get rid of it. But see what happens when you now get rid of something that you've been contractually obligated to actually have? You violate your contract. See, they can't do away with Google Drive. They'll lose all their Chromebooks. They can't do away with Google Drive and their Chromebooks because, I mean, what are they going to do? As you've heard me say, and as you've heard other people say that, that I've brought up on this show, these individuals that, that, that call themselves school teachers don't know how to teach if they don't have technology available to them now. They don't know what to do. They're lost. But as you can see, even when they do have the technology, they're lost anyway. It continues, it says, At 8.17 a.m. that same day, the shooter saved a document entitled Stress Reflect Thing on his Google Drive, which consisted of the following, where he said, quote, I really have no stress at all. I am a stress-free person. I have never had stress in my life as far as I know. I really don't think puberty is a stress thing as it does not affect me in any way. I do get about three to four hours of sleep at night, and that is perfect for me because I have sleep deprivation and I get full rest with those hours. So it is less than eight hours of sleep but it is not putting any stress on me, so really I think my stress level should be zero, but it is whatever I don't really care. I never care about anything in that it helps me not really have stress, I guess. Unquote. The kid's all over the place. He's inconsistent, and he's all over the place. It says the shooter's ninth grade power school records for that class show that he submitted a grade assi assignment entitled Emotions Poster, quote-unquote, and another graded assignment entitled Stress Level, quote-unquote, both with due dates of October 3rd of 2021. 
just over a month before the shooting. The two documents described immediately above appear to fit those titles and time frame. However, we cannot be certain that the documents were found in the shooter's Google Drive are the same documents he ultimately submitted to his teacher to be graded. Again, we were unable to ask the shooter's ninth grade health teacher about these assignments. Why? Because the health teacher didn't want to talk to the investigators. Why? Because the health teacher would have been caught not doing their job. Here it says academic performance. Which, by the way, you heard me say in the last episode just very briefly, that's why I never had students do journal entries or writing assignments when I, was a, when I was a health teacher or any teacher regardless of the subject. I never had them do that. It wasn't a journaling class. That was not the point. The point was, and, and, and the reason, of course, as I've said before, as to why I never did that was because if I missed something that a kid wrote and I didn't read it, then I would be on the hook if something terrible were to happen. They'd say, well, Sean, in their journal entry, they said that they were going to shoot this kid and that they were going to do it after your class. And this was your assignment, wasn't it? Why didn't you look into this? My ass would have been in a sling. I would have been gone in a heartbeat. Not these people, though. These people are still there. It's a dangerous assignment when you have students writing. In, in school, and it's even more dangerous when you have them writing and then putting it online on their school-sanctioned Google Drives, which is, again, an online hard drive, and the teacher themselves isn't even looking to see what they're writing. That's, that's the exact, quote-unquote, negligence that the parents are in jail for right now. So I want people to, again, understand that, too, that the, the Crumbly parents are in prison and have been since November of 2021, and yet the school teachers are walking free. All of the administrators and school teachers regarding all of this technology use and all of these programs and policies and procedures, they're all walking free. And Ethan was around them longer than he was his own parents. Eight hours a day, five days a week. Who should really be in jail here? So here's a section titled Academic Performance. It says the list below shows the shooter's overall grades in each of his classes as of November 30th of 2021, which would have been by the actual day of the shooting. It says with the teacher or teacher's names in parentheses. So the English as a, as a English language arts rather he was receiving a C minus a 70% in geometry he had a 64% which they label as an E grade they don't even have F as a grade anymore because they probably think it triggers too many people a failing grade for them is an E as an elephant in chemistry he had a 65% in world history, he had a 71%. In business management, he had a 77%. Get this. In communications, he had a 100%. And in Spanish, he had a 57%. How does he have 100% in communications when he can't write a complete sentence? These people aren't that bright. I mean, the school teachers just aren't that bright. 
The document continues. It says these grades were not final as the first semester of the school year was still underway at the time of the shooting. Beginning in early November of 2021, it appears as if the shooter largely stopped doing the assigned work in his ELA and Spanish classes. His power school records show that in November of 2021, in these two classes, the shooter was submitting incomplete assignments and sometimes not doing the assignment at all. That's a red flag. That's a parent conference. That's an immediate parent conference. It then says this, and this is on this is on page 131. Again, more red flags. They uh, again the, the investigator sought to speak with all of the school teachers, all of his current school teachers. Some of them agreed, and then most of them didn't. And uh, and again, they did, however, testify. Uh, based on them being sued. And then, of course, well, some of them are being sued, if not all of them. But then they spoke with police officers as well, as, of course, police officers immediately met with them uh, after the shooting took place. But on pay- at the bottom of page 131, there's a section here. It's letter C, which is titled, The Shooter's Journal, The Shooter's Perspective on School. And it says the following. Throughout November of 2021, he wrote in his journal that he was choosing not to do his assignments and that he expected and even hoped to be called down to the front office. We we recount the relevant journal entries in approximate chronological order below. For the most part, the shooter did not date his journal entries, but we can establish an approximate time frame based on the events described in the journal and our knowledge from our other relevant dates. It says, on or after November 9th of 2021, Ethan wrote this in his own journal, which would have been in his backpack, which would have been something that would have been confiscated and something that may have even been gone through if he had vigilant parents and aware parents and if he had vigilant school teachers and administrators and aware school administrators and school teachers. Any kid, by the way, sitting in a class, writing in a journal, instead of doing schoolwork, you confiscate the journal. You take it from them. That's what you do. Why are you writing in that? And you say, give it to me. And you take it. And then you put it on your desk. And then you make them do whatever work that you have them doing that they're not doing. And then that's it. Now, yeah, they might ask for it back. And yeah, you might give it back. But, you know, I understand hindsight's 50-50 on this. But at the same time, if there was a parent conference, certainly in my day, we would have gone through the kid's backpack and said, you know, are you writing anywhere? Do you have anything else? You know, let's, let's snoop around a little bit. But here's what he wrote in his journal. It says, again, on or after November 9th of 2021, quote, I spend most of my time writing in this book instead of doing stuff in class. I am failing two or more classes and on the verge of failing two more. This causes my depression to be worse than it already is, unquote. Red flag. Then says, likely on or after November 12th of 2021, quote, I am already failing three classes and I am doing nothing to help it. He then said, I spend my, entire, I spend my entirety 
of Spanish class writing, and I do nothing in this class, unquote. He then said, quote, all one of my teachers has to do is send me to the office and I will tell them about the bird head and I can get help. One call and that can save lot lives, unquote. You can't say this wasn't a kid asking for help. He was. It says likely on, I'm sorry, likely after the weekend of November 13th and 14th of 2021, after describing several parts of his weekend where he felt happy and comfortable, he said, quote, now I'm back in school and back down the drain again. I've already committed to the shooting by not doing any of my schoolwork and practically telling the teachers to fuck off. And honestly, it feels good. After 12 years of stress and anxiety from school, it feels good just not to care anymore, unquote. He then wrote, quote, I have two years left until I graduate high school, and I have already given up early this year and can't take the rest of the two years. I'm genuinely surprised right now that none of my teachers have contacted my counselor or sent me to the office for not doing my work. I think that they are doing something new to get their students to do work. Instead of going to the office, the teachers are just going to let my grades drop in hope that I gain my sense to do my work. Well, tough shit, unquote. Let me focus on that paragraph for a minute. He's cognizant of the fact that the school has a policy in place that isn't disciplining students for anything. He's cognizant of the fact that the school has restorative practices in place, although he may not know that name, and that failing is apparently not that big of a deal to these people, and that contacting parents and scheduling a parent conference isn't that big of a deal to these people either. He's aware of this. He then said, quote, I don't care about my grades no more. I'm about to shoot up the school and spend the rest of my life in prison. The last thing I could care about is my grades in school. Ugh. I am actually hoping that I get sent down to the office. That will show them that I have given up and they will keep an eye on me. I will make them see that I am a possible shooter. And so when I do my shooting, they will have something to put for motivation. I have already stopped doing school, so once the school sees my photos of gun and gun range on my Insta, then they will know what's up, unquote. Honest to Christ, ladies and gentlemen, um, he was telling them what he was going to do in a document that numerous people had seen him write on and in, in class, while he was failing, and while he was not doing schoolwork. And it was never confiscated from him at any point, by anybody, not even the counselor. It says, to be clear, we are not saying that any OHS personnel were aware of or should have been aware of the shooter of what the shooter was writing in his journal. They should have been. They should have been. 
It says, we included the above quoted journal entries in this report because the shooter's descriptions of his academic performance match in part with reality. The assignment level data in PowerSchool shows that the shooter was not doing his work in several classes in the same time frame in which he was writing in his journal that he was not doing his work. Now, there's an email here from one of his school teachers to other individuals. And the subject line was Invitation to Parent Teacher Conference. And this was on Wednesday, October 6th of 2021. The same year, the same semester as the shooting just a, a month before, month and a half before. They said, Hello, parents. I'm your student's Spanish teacher. So they're sending this out apparently to all of the parents. Finally, this email went out to them. It says, I'm your student Spanish teacher, and I'm reaching out to invite you to parent-teacher conference on Thursday, October 7th or Tuesday, October 12th. We are holding parent-teacher conferences virtually again this year, which has been more convenient for our parents. I'm sending this email invitation because our student, because your student, rather, currently has a D or E in my course, and I would like to discuss how we can help them make improvements through the remainder of the semester. Please select a 10-minute time slot on October 7th from 4 to 7 or October 12th from 5 to 8 at this particular website. You will also find my Zoom link when you select a time which we will use to meet virtually. I look forward to meeting you and discussing ways we can support your students' improvement in their Spanish class. Sincerely, Diana McConnell, Spanish teacher, Oxford High School. So this woman reached out to the parents. But as you can hear in the email, it's not a face-to-face -face thing. It's a Zoom call out of, out of the basis for convenience. That parents found this convenient, so let's just do it this way. Go ahead and schedule a time online and blah, 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 blah. Ladies and gentlemen, again, there was a time when you got in your car as parents, you drove to the school and you met with the school teacher face to face. Do you see what all this technology is doing? It's not helping anything. It's making everything worse. It's creating distance. And it's creating an inability, again, to use technology and log on, even if you don't have access to that kind of technology in order to do that. Well, just get on Zoom. And they just assume that everybody knows how to log into Zoom or download Zoom or use Zoom. Most people don't. A lot of people don't. So again, if they're not opening up an actual parent conference for people to show up on a day-in and day-out basis or any time for that matter face-to-face, -face, you're kicking the can down the road. You're sort of assuming that, that parents aren't going to take advantage of a parent conference. And many of them won't for a variety of reasons. But I want to mention this too, and then I'm going to wrap this up. And again, I'll probably write a little bit about this um, in, the, in, the, in the next substack, which I'll, I'll, try to, I'll try to get together here and, and let, it, uh, let it loose here before the end of the weekend. This school district was implementing yet another technology-based survey platform that they as teachers would quote-unquote use to their advantage to help diagnose the academic 
standing of students. And this particular program is an acronym called SABRE. The SABRE program in this school district was apparently in place, but people weren't using it thoroughly, I should say, and they certainly weren't being trained on how to analyze any of it. And all it was really doing was tracking again academic performance over the course of years with each individual student who is in the district. Now, it's not a complicated system. It takes the students' grades and it throws them into a line graph, and then you just see a line graph. And it goes in one direction, it maintains itself, or it goes in another direction. Either, either, either goes up, down, or it lays flat. Again, a fourth grader could interpret the Saber system. It doesn't seem difficult. But they claim that, again, this is just another one of those things that they add to their plate of things to do that they don't follow through on. They had another thing here where they clearly show in this document Ethan Crumbly on this Saber platform, and his grades are going in a downward direction, in a hard downward direction, since middle school and certainly since his freshman year in high school, all the way up to the actual day of the shooting. That's, an, that's a parent conference. That's an immediate parent conference, not, you know, schedule a 10-minute time slot and then, uh, you know, we'll, we'll discuss a couple of things and then send you on your way. No, no, no. This should have been a multi-person parent conference in the school, either before or after school, with either one or both of his parents. The very moment that he started to fall asleep in class, and the very moment that he wasn't turning in work and failing, or even having poor academic performance. I'm going to wrap it up and say this. It exemplifies the laziness of school teachers. It exemplifies the overwhelming nature of these NGOs and these companies and these groups and these tech groups and these the contracts that get signed by districts and how all of that lands in the lap of, of district officials and district officials are do-gooders and they're order followers. So they do what they're told from their higher-ups and those higher-up state organizations and then they throw it in the laps of school teachers and, and building administrators expecting them to do it and it just because it just becomes one more thing for them to do that ultimately they can't do because they don't have the time because they don't have the wherewithal they don't have the observational skills they don't have whatever it is that they don't have which is a lot of things they don't have the knowledge of their own subject matter let alone the ability to track a student from year to year to year academically and clearly, if, the, if there's anything in any of this, they don't have the ability to pick up a telephone and call a parent and say, we need to have a parent conference with you immediately, uh, and we need to talk with you immediately. They apparently are, in, are incapable of doing that. That's why all of this happened. And then you take that firecracker called COVID, and you toss it right in the middle of this entire scenario 
And what do you end up with? You end up with four kids dead. You end up with the snapping of a mind of a child whose mind was already snapping, who was already writing about killing people in a journal that was in his backpack that was in the environment where the crime took place. And then on the last day, he brought a gun to school and was going to actually do it. But by that time, it was too late. He had already made up his mind. He had made up his mind at the beginning of the month. There isn't a more dangerous environment. There isn't. The same systems, the same programs, the same technology, the same policies, the same negligence, all of this exists in every American K-12 school environment. And you think your child is safe? You're kidding yourself. Leave these environments, make them bankrupt, and never return, and save your child's life, your lives, and your frame of mind. That's all I've got. Thank you for listening again. In the description below, I will link Amazing Polly's episode. I highly recommend watching that. And again, I'll catch you on Monday. I will hopefully put out a substack here this weekend that sort of summarizes some of this a little bit more with some screenshots of these actual emails and a few other, a few other opinions that I have on this document. And uh, make sure and tune in again on Monday night to the Dangerous Info podcast at 7 p.m. and certainly 7.30. And uh, there you go, on the Dangerous Info podcast channel on Rumble. With that said, ladies and gentlemen, I'll catch you then. Peace. Thank you for listening to American Education FM. Make sure and check out AmericanEducationFM.com for more information. Take care and God bless.